Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Deal or No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Rob Sesternino back here for our Amazing Race recap of episode number 11 of season 434, the penultimate leg of the Amazing Race, as we are down to just three teams competing in next week's finale of the Amazing Race 34. And we are back here with our Amazing Race recap team. First, back with us, a woman who could tell us if Derek X would be a good James Bond, it's Jessica Lee's. Jess, how are you? Doing great, Robin. The the answer is yes. 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 Okay. Let's talk that through in greater detail here today. Here with a man who always makes us misty eyed. Give it up for Mike Bloom. Incredibly excited to be here. Rob, I've been watching you since I've been in second grade and I'm just in awe <laughs> sitting in front of you right now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I hope. Boy, uh, that's not true, right? No, uh, okay. you know, add uh, you know a half a dozen years on top of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think uh, there's a lot of between this and not the spoil survivor too much, but like uh, definitely lots of dating and aging. I would say <laughs> in these past couple of episodes on CBS Primetime that make us you know look in the mirror and watch the wrinkles slowly form. Our hair is getting grayer, to quote Jeff Probe, but. Uh, perhaps it's also from all the cold water swims that we're doing each and every morning to discover what volcanoes were created in 1623 versus 1825. Mm-hmm. See, I feel like this is karmic retribution because I did this exact same thing to Alex Trebek when I was 27 and I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really was trying to gauge Phil's response as to like, how insulted is he versus like how revered does he feel in response to what Aubrey told him as one of the final things on the mat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Phil feels revered. He's he's the kind of guy that would take that for a compliment. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, he has aged uh, only gracefully. So like fine wine, like, fine, like an iceberg, like fine wine. Okay, and so we'll talk about this uh, Iceland leg, uh, one of the few legs in this amazing race, if any, that is just a one and done here. As uh, we are going to get the teams in 
and out of Iceland. Uh, and we'll get to our final three teams in the finale next week. I think shaping up to be a really interesting finale uh, with these three teams, David and Aubrey. They ultimately are the team that is out here at the final four. Uh, we'll have an exit interview with David and Aubrey uh, coming up. And really, uh, just for uh, David and Aubrey, uh, I guess we didn't know about this Achilles heel of uh, the team of uh, David and Aubrey. Not great in the water, specifically David. And then we get a lot of water in our uh, final four leg. Yeah, well, it's funny. We had three tasks on this leg. We had climb up something with ropes and we had climb down something with ropes and get in the water. And then we had get in the water. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's a very nice through line here. Unfortunately, if water's not your thing, it, this leg is definitely not going to be your thing either. Mm -hmm. And they could have easily gotten through the whole race without having to confront this many, many seasons. We don't go in the water at all. It's not like Amazing Race Canada where you cite your biggest fear and then they make sure you confront that thing very early on. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is, you know, this was a surprise, I think, for everybody. And I think we would be looking at very different final three if we'd had different tasks. Oh, I love describing that, the task that way, just almost like Wordle, right? Where you, or a word ladder where you're like starting with one thing of mm -hmm. ropes, ropes to water, and then just plain water. Yeah, this was a really interesting Like, It's only the third time we have been to Iceland. The first time and only time we have been to Iceland that hasn't been a premiere. So the season six premiere and the season 30 premiere, infamously, uh, the Upside Down U was inside of, uh, of, or I think it was the Upside Down N or whatever it was. With, uh, and it kind with of classed, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, took place in Iceland. So what's interesting is, you know, they they start the leg, right, by saying, oh, it's an Expedia-inspired adventure. And while it felt like it was that for the first portion of getting people to the starting point, it kind of felt like that was the tone throughout. This definitely felt like, okay, we're going to Iceland. What haunts do we want to visit? Uh, this felt out of the three times that we've been probably the most, like, on rails that we have seen. And unfortunately for David and Aubrey, because they went into some of these more like extreme, you know, uh, stunty type of things, as opposed to like, hey, drive to an iceberg and solve this puzzle. They come up against something really unfortunate. To Jess's point, you know, we really, outside of the Malaga stuff, have not necessarily gone into the water at all over the course of this uh, season. We usually don't unless you're going to a beachy environment. And so... Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm like devastated with no offense to Aubrey and David that they're eliminated just because I think the other three teams have such strong mm -hmm. narratives and Aubrey and David didn't necessarily. I do feel bad for them that it really was like coming up against probably the weakest component across the two of them at the exact wrong time. Yeah, it was an interesting end to the episode. Just uh, we had David and Aubrey decide to take a two hour penalty, uh, which ultimately does them in that uh, they, they are the uh, last team to arrive. Certainly after that, I don't recall the last time we saw a team taking a penalty like that. I mean, would that be would that be team football a couple of seasons ago? Isn't this exactly the way D'Angelo and Gary went out? That they were on the puzzle and they couldn't get it. Was that what happened? It was, yeah. it was the remember it was the the memory task with the the drums. I and, mean, clearly uh, I don't, but um, the drums yeah. and the orchestra song and they yeah. had to 
and they and the uh, the other teams uh, colluded together, and Gary and D'Angelo were upset, and so I think they, yeah, I don't know if they ever ended up finishing it. I think they were just like, eh, I think they got this. frustrated. Yeah, yeah, but but I don't know if that we went through with the formal like we're officially quitting. Give us the two hour penalty, et cetera, et cetera. Here they actually went through the whole rigmarole of like, all right, sit there for two hours, even though. I would imagine from a time yeah. perspective, Emily and Molly checked in well before that time lapsed. Do you think that they really made poor Phil and Olafur Olafson stand there for two hours in the freezing cold to wait out this penalty? They 100% did not. <laughs> I think at a, at a point where they, at the point where they were definitely getting eliminated, mm. they sent him right to the mat. And yeah. I'm surprised that they were even going to make him take a penalty right there because Historically, it used to be that when you took a penalty, you had to serve it right there mm-hmm. and you had to wait and like watch other teams check in and check out and then you could proceed. After a certain amount of time, we've changed that so that when you took your penalty, you just had to serve it when you checked in at the mat. Mm-hmm. And this time it was surprising to see them at least go through with the charade that they were going to have to sit there and take the penalty. Like this is going to be one question I'm going to ask them in the exit interview is did they how long did they actually have to sit there because i suspect it's like okay fine go to the mat and we'll we'll check you out there yeah yeah is that a question they can answer in 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 the fiction of the amazing race universe it's not like they cut a task or anything Mm -hmm. it's not like we're asking them to confirm that they had to play badminton in a Mm face-off um they they can tell us, like, how long were they out there? We, mm-hmm. we ask, how long were you out there all the time? This was a pretty right. short We can leg. ask the question. They don't have to uh, exactly. disclose yeah, cool. an answer. Speaking of season 31, just doing a, a quick bit of research, it seems like the last time we saw a team, like, explicitly quit a task and take a penalty was all the way back in the premiere of The Amazing Race 31, coming to Netflix in just a few days, uh, where <laughs> wow. I believe it was one of Art or JJ, right? Couldn't do the... <laughs> climb up the slippery mountain dressed in the oh, tie-dye yeah. unitard. Uh, and so they ended up quitting. And I think it allowed Rupert and Laura to get past them. Mm-hmm. Who could forget? Bye-bye. <laughs> like, bye. Yeah. Pie pie. All right. Uh, well, let's talk through uh, this leg. Uh, this was an Expedia inspired leg. Uh, so much Expedia talk, Jess. And uh, of course, Phil reminded us about all the different things that the teams did with Expedia this season. And then finally, uh, they're going to go on this uh, leg, which I guess you could recreate this whole experience on Expedia if you wanted to, if you had enough Expedia points. Yeah, you absolutely could, Rob. I will tell you, um, Iceland is a place I've been to a few times. Yes. I've been on vacation. I also... Uh, shout out to my Icelandic colleagues uh, because I've been there for work a couple of times. And the thing that you can do in Iceland, you can get a very comprehensive Iceland experience in like a weekend. So a lot of times what you do is if you're going to Europe, you do a layover in Reykjavik because you can get a cheap flight and then stay over, see some sites. And the sites you would see on your first trip to Reykjavik, it would be the Golden Circle. So you would, they have this bus tour. It goes out, it's a day trip, and you see you see three of the main sites, and two of those sites were featured in this episode. So mm-hmm. there you go. You've seen two-thirds of everything they tell you to see on your first trip to Iceland. Okay. Is that good or bad, in your opinion? Was this too much skewing towards, like, okay, we're doing these 
more touristy things rather than exploring perhaps within the cracks of the tectonic plates? Or did you feel like it created exciting enough TV that it was perhaps worth the kind of, for lack of a better term, basicness that came with just hitting the typical stuff that you would do if you were there on a weekend? I mean, I'm torn, Mike, because I feel like you do need to hit the iconic things. And these are like Thingville International Park and Gullfoss are two of the iconic Icelandic sites. And I will say the further you get from the beaten path, the cooler your Iceland experience tends to be because there's some really cool stuff. But they they haven't been to these places. If they're not overusing them, it's not like we're going to the Eiffel Tower again. I think there's nothing wrong with it. I, I thought this was an exciting exciting leg from a task perspective these were mm-hmm. hard tasks these were scary tasks and they were also somewhat connected to the place where they were mm-hmm. yeah. um, i mean you can do a ropes course anywhere but you can't always do a ropes course in frigid water and you can't climb a glacier everywhere yeah because you know there's fewer and fewer of those around um so i i thought it was i thought it was great i thought it was appropriately cinematic i thought it was connected enough to the place where they were i i didn't have an issue with that yeah and, and i think the of all the lead changes as well i think really helped with the episode too right like this is what you want in a penultimate leg ideally a finale but definitely a penultimate leg where it really is okay there are definitely only three spots left and you know we had david and aubrey starting in second going to third going down to fourth you had someone like Derek and claire right starting in third going up to second going up to first louisa Mich- uh, and michelle were bouncing around there was a, surprisingly despite the fact that there were only a couple of tasks there was a lot of switching between it which to your point jess i think speaks towards the skill-based elements of the task as opposed to sometimes what we get right where it's like pretty much the order that you arrive is going to be the order that you leave the task in yeah yeah I, I like that a lot. I think navigation probably played a bigger role than we saw. Uh, and just to add to uh, what Mike is talking about with the placement of the teams, I think it really helped this episode that the teams were bunched up enough where, you know, uh, we had going back to last week where Marcus, Michael, you know, they were so far behind that it was almost impossible for them to ever catch back up in that episode. And yet Emily and Molly, who uh, that they I just have uh, so much respect for them. They think that they're like uh, Terminators uh, that are just going to keep coming and coming. And they were in fourth place and it looked bleak and uh, they just kept at it and ultimately passed David and Aubrey in this leg before David and Aubrey ultimately took the penalty. So it was a really nice story for Emily and Molly to persevere and ultimately like force their way into the final three of this season. Yeah. I mean, narratively, I think we have three pretty strong teams left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't remember a time when the final three teams have been this likable as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I'd be happy with a win from any of them and it would make sense in this, in the greater scheme of things. And we'd be happy with them as people. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we've been on a good streak. I, I'll, I'll throw my coin in for last season's final three. I really like them as well. Mm, I think they were good. A- yeah. Just as a reminder, it was uh, the Holderness family, Ryan and Dusty and Raquel and Kayla. That was the final three last season. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's pretty likable. Uh, and, and, and I, I like the narrative there where it just seemed like it ended up where like the first uh, part of the season was Ryan and Dusty's to command. The, the middle part of the season was the Holderness family's to command. And then uh, Raquel and Kayla sort of like surged ahead in the final few legs as well. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Jess, uh, let's start to talk through uh, this uh, helicopter ride that we're going to see the teams uh, go off on. And certainly, as you referred to, a very cinematic opening to uh, the start of this leg. Uh, And for David, a opportunity. Uh, He loves helicopters. Yeah, well, see, if they'd had him fix the helicopter, that would have been a five hole for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Potential five hole. Yeah, the closest we got to that was uh, repair the Ducati. Uh, ultimately, uh, that he just uh, loves helicopters. These are pretty cool helicopters. Oh, yeah. And what a way to see the landscape because mm-hmm. it really looks like nowhere else on Earth. Mm-hmm. So that was really, that was a really big treat. It's like, that's why you go on the amazing race. Is so you get to have experiences like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Derek X uh, said that uh, he felt like a James Bond and Claire, I guess, would be a uh, Bond woman. Uh, Jess, Bond woman. I, 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 I didn't, you know, it's, 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 it's I so feel progressive like, of you. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like wow, that, Rob. Yeah, wow. I, I wanted to get, uh, give some uh, flowers to uh, the, the very the women of James Bond. Uh, to say <laughs> I them, feel like I'm back in Mount Holyoke. Bond girls, you know, don't insult <laughs> yes. them. But just I, I know that you have uh, gone back and you watched a number of did you get through all of the Bond movies on post show recaps. We didn't. We did. We did one from every major era. Okay. We did a Connery Bond. We did a Roger Moore Bond. We did a Daniel Craig Bond. Mm-hmm. And I would I would like to go back and see more. I have seen all of the Connery ones and about half the Roger Moores and all of the Daniel Craigs. But I, I think they've been to Iceland in one of those. Mm-hmm. Like, James Bond is travel porn almost on the level of the Amazing Race. Sure, sure. Ooh, this, almost, this is interesting. Yeah. Should we do like an, a James Bond-themed Amazing Race season where you only go to the places that they've been in the Bond movies? I mean, at this point, that's like every place ever. Yeah, I mean, a Bond movie is kind of like a mini Amazing Race season. There's always like a bunch of different locations. Mm-hmm. There tends to be at least like one sort of like snowy scene also in every Bond movie. Uh, and you like know. one well, the, beachy thing. And, yeah. yeah well, the the... The one I can think of in terms of ice is Die Another Day, right? Which is one of the rare James Bond movies that I'm seeing. I know that they went to Iceland, though. I think they went to somewhere even more north and more south. Mm. Yeah, they they do tend to... They go to the Alps a lot. I feel like there's a lot of skiing Mm -hmm. in James Bond movies. Yeah, okay. So, Jess, which James Bond do you think Derek X is most like? Ooh, this is a good question. 
Well, I think he's not quite, he's not wacky enough to be the Roger Moore James Bond. Mm -hmm. I think I could, I could see him as a Pierce Brosnan. Oh, okay. I don't think he's quite suave enough to be a Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. And he's like not, you know, Sean Connery is just like 10% gross and 90% appealing. (laughs) I don't think Derek has that vibe. What do you You think? Kiss your mother with that mouth, Trebek. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which James Bond is the clumsiest? Which Bond is most likely to like wreck a scooter, wreck a bike, wreck a moped? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's, most, think, who's most likely to be the the most you know uh, the the most butterfingered? I, I feel like Daniel Craig has done the most collateral damage. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about like how much crap has he actually wrecked? But mm-hmm. I mean, they all they all do that. They all break stuff and get make Q mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it depends who you ask. Uh, Mi six, right? Yeah. So, so who is who is Claire? Like, I know they. Uh, we want to talk about if she's not a Bond girl, not yet a Bond woman, but is she more M in this way? Right? Is she more so the person to like work with James Bond, chastise him a little bit when he gets out of line and is not <laughs> concentrating on the task at hand? I could see that. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's also she's also sort of in the driver's seat. For she has been for a lot of this race. Most of the time, she is the cooler-headed person. Uh, we've seen a couple of times where they've had to kind of switch roles a little bit, but I could see that for mm-hmm. sure. Okay, um, so uh, for all the teams, uh, they arrive at the glacier and uh, they have to all climb up the glacier. Uh, both of them have to do it. Um, really. Um, Nobody really seems to have an issue with this uh, whatsoever. No, this is the rare heights task, right? Where I feel like if you're going up from a heights perspective, it's much easier than going across. Because going across, you have to maintain balance, and there's a fairly sizable chance that you are going to look down and just truly uh, get the shakes. Here, as Aubrey points out, right? Like, just don't look beneath your feet and just concentrate on the bubble that you're in, and you're pretty much going to be fine. And as we saw, her and Claire were pretty much fine. It also might be that it happened to be the leg after they both faced their fears in crossing that chasm. And as a result, I don't know, maybe, yeah, they feel just a little bit braver inside (laughs) of them now. They've drank their liquid courage. Yeah, well, I think it's the difference between having something solid in front of you and having nothing in front of you. Like staring into the abyss versus like having a solid rock. I think think climbing is much easier than tightrope walking in that aspect. Let's then talk about our teams uh, having to head out to go to uh, the next stop on this race. And uh, I'm glad you did not attempt to pronounce it like the teams had to. No, I did well, not. Yeah. Didn't help that there was a glaring typo in it. Oh, oh uh, what was okay. the glaring typo, Jess? Well, see, I, I tried to Google the name of this place and nothing comes up in Google because that's not a G in the middle. It's a thorn mm-hmm. or a like in Icelandic, if they're using the Roman alphabet, they just write it as a D. Mm-hmm. And that came up with, like, I was trying to figure out where it was on the map in relation to everything else. And I still didn't get that location, but I at least got a road next to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the teams are going to have to head out in these Land Rovers. And just that the teams really seem to struggle with operating this vehicle. I feel like that as the person on the panel with the most experience with uh, operating the stick shift, right? Or at least watching people do it. Yeah, Jess doesn't have a driver's license. I don't have a driver's license. Oh, well, Jess, I feel like for all these years, you talk about the drive stick. I feel like that you're such an expert, I felt like. 
I watch a lot of Amazing Race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and okay. They drive stick a but lot can you tell race. us what is the difference between uh, a regular stick shift and this vehicle? This vehicle is four wheel drive. Like this one is capable of. If you want to just like stop being on the road altogether and just like peace out and drive across the landscape, mm -hmm. you can do it in this one. Mm -hmm. And that's what all the extra pedals and extra gear shift is for. It's for the off roading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it seemed like that this was a, a struggle for these teams. Mike, they really just like beat the hell out of these cars. Like, uh, you know, they just drive in the wrong gears. Like, are the cars like uh, okay after they get used on the Amazing Race? I mean, I'm certainly imagining they're not any better than <laughs> when these Americans got into them. Yeah, I just feel like this poor engine just burning, right? Like every time these people get in. Now, luckily, they only use them for this leg. We've certainly seen other instances. I mean, maybe there's a reason why in Amazing Race 32 when they were in Germany and they're like, here, take this shitty lemon and drive it all the way around town. Like, maybe they're like, we know you're going to wreck this. So we're going to give you the crappiest car possible to save us the liabilities. I wouldn't rent cars to the fans. Amazing Race. I think Amazing Race probably just buys them outright. Mm -hmm. It's still a cheap show to make. Yeah. You think that Phil has like an army of people from Tough as Nails that can just like fix the transmissions on these cars after they use them and get them yeah. back Who to whoever. Who knows what this is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. David says it's an alternator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. So everybody is uh, on their way and uh, navigation does end up uh, becoming... An issue here, uh, we get back to where David is driving and Aubrey is back to being uh, the navigating. And so uh, Mike shaking his head, uh, this is a bad I idea. Just, well, listen, I can understand from a dynamic perspective why you want a team member to feel redemption, right? Like, oh, I failed you before. Let me not do it again. We saw this happen before with like, oh, Claire kind of biffed it twice at the roadblocks. Let's have give her another opportunity. But at the same time, I kind of want to just like, pride strengths and weaknesses perhaps above giving everyone a fair shake mm -hmm. at certain points of like no you've done well when you fix the problem right of david being the the navigator and aubrey driving why feel the need to switch it here my hunch is that the car looked incredibly difficult to drive and as a mechanic david would have some sort of sense as to how it worked that he feels like he had to drive therefore aubrey had to navigate but i would say if you're going on the amazing race as a as a teammate of course, you want to keep your partner's spirits lifted. But at the end of the day, I think you also want to do relatively well in the race. And maybe that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, yeah, I know that, uh, you know, my partner's not so great at this thing, but I'm going to give them another chance. Yeah, I really thought it was just an operating the car uh, issue where that, you know, we talked about how it was a, you know, this car had like even Emily and Molly, like, I, I, I don't know what this is. Uh, like, I think that like the controls uh, with the, the being the four wheel drive stick shift might have seemed uh, a little bit more uh, imposing. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Well, didn't Derek say it's not it. This isn't a car. It's a spaceship. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so we know that he's good for It's like James a Don Bond. Draper line. It's not a car. It's a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, what is he? Is it Don Draper's uh, advertising SpaceX now in modern day Mad Men? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, I, but I really like this because, you know, it's also an amazing race rule sometimes, or at least something that people follow of like following. You want to follow behind. Okay, if a team is usually good with directions, chances are they know where they're going. If not, well, at least you're with them together and you're not off by yourself. But Aubrey and David were kind of con this delicious crossroads where it's like, 
Okay, let's follow Lewis and Michelle. They're usually good with directions. Wait, there, there go Derek and Claire. They're also good with directions. Who do we follow right mm-hmm. now? And I, I love that idea of like, based on perception of how good the other team is, are with directions, who do you rank preferentially among the other teams and how do you follow Nestle? Yeah. Okay, Jess, you're following a team on the Amazing Race. The team you're following does a U-turn. Another team goes a straight past you. What do you do? I think I make the U-turn. Mm-hmm. I think I do. Yeah. But I also like to think I would have a better grasp on where I was in the world. Although I will say navigating in Iceland is just, it's its expert level. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have a GPS and it's not going to help you. Why is that? Because every Icelandic place name is in Icelandic. Mm. And they all kind of look like they're all very long words. Some of them are not that different from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I had to pull a Claire, right, and use mnemonics to remember where you're going. Mm-hmm. We heard a lot about Emily's leg in uh, this uh, episode of The Amazing Race. Oh, and in just this episode no, or in the well, past month of covering the show? Yeah. Is something wrong with her leg? Something is wrong. Yeah, it's just tired. It's tired and it's sore and a lot of problems. And so walking around the glacier, uh, then we see that Molly... Uh, starts to talk about some different things. And Emily calls it out. I know what you're trying to do. This is a distraction technique. Yeah. Did who it work? That's, I mean, who would have thought that someone named Molly is all about having a good time, right? <laughs> she finds a, a dandelion. She finds a dandelion and tells them to, what, what did she say? We make wishes in Maine? Is that what she said? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are they from Maine? I don't know. That's the thing. Is that a phrase? Is that a, a, the motto of Maine? We make wishes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she gives the, the dandelion, uh, gets her distracted enough. Uh, it seems like it worked out because, you know, uh, that Emily and Molly uh, have a very strong leg uh, this week, despite having a weak leg. Yeah, they did. They came from behind and ended up slightly less behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it certainly helps, right, that perhaps that walk from the starting point was the longest distance they had to walk. Yeah. Otherwise, it was driving and, like, navigating a short portion. Luckily, with the roadblock, Emily didn't have to do it, and they were pretty much waterborne uh, when it came to swimming, which I would imagine puts a different strain on the leg than just walking. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps much like David and Aubrey, like, face their worst parts, if it was, okay, for this next task run around the glacier 50 times then yeah emily and molly would have been pretty screwed yeah yeah well we saw in season 25 it was kind of the same thing with amy and maya and amy had messed up her leg and was having trouble running and then that penultimate leg also had a water task and she was able to do a whole water-based roadblock because swimming is totally different from running Mm -hmm. and if the doctor's advice was to ice the knee uh there was ample opportunity for emily to do that on this land yeah Yeah. Okay. So uh, we get to our detour of um, or our our roadblock. I guess we didn't no detour in this episode, right? Yeah, I think last episode might have been the last detour because we almost never have a detour in the finale because they want to keep everyone in line just to gauge who's in first, second, third. So, yeah, we didn't even realize it. But I think the uh, I think the bricklaying and the dressing up the flamenco dancer was the last detour we had on this season. Okay. Um, and we are asked, who is feeling misty-eyed? 
did I miss something? Why are we feeling misty-eyed here? Is there is there mist in the cave? There's mist in the waterfall. Okay. All right. I thought this was a kind of a weak title. Yeah, not their best. Okay. Who's what would you have called it, Rob? Uh, I guess uh, if you're trying to like make it vague. Uh, I don't know. You're going into the some sort of like a cavern, right? Uh, or or you could just be like, who wants to know the ropes or something like that? Yeah, who, who's and, not gonna cave under pressure? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we see who's feeling misty eyed, and then we also get the note, Derek. You must perform uh, this roadblock. So up until this leg. Derek and Claire were the only team that were not evenly balanced in terms of roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know since the days of season five, with the exception of, I think, season 24, which broke it a bit, that there is a rule that a team member must do a maximum of six roadblocks in the race. And so since Derek had only done four and Claire had already done six to that point, they said, no, 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 Derek, no. you must do this. And assumingly, if there's one more in the finale, I think you'd also have to do maybe do that one as well. Yeah. Well, it's nice to know. I I am comforted when we see on the CBS reality shows that there still are some rules. Yeah. You know, it's nice. Yeah. But if you smash the yield hourglass, then Mm -hmm. the roadblock totals get reversed. And that means Claire have to do it instead. Mm hmm. Because we're Stop on here. Them ideas. Yeah. I, I'm talking about like, well, like it's supposed to be this. And then sometimes it's like, uh, you know, then we're asking a question like since when? And uh, nice to know you still have to do a certain number of roadblocks each. OK. And so um, Derek X is very excited because this is a perfect challenge for him. He's a he's a Bond guy, right? He's ready to he's pretending he's escaping some sort of like cartel drug smuggler. Uh, racing through the canyons of Iceland. But yeah, I like the way he phrased it, right? Of like, I don't need to think. I just need to hop around. I mean, this was also, uh, to me, it seems like a nice little connection back to the canyoneering that they did last season, right? Where Akbar and Sherry ended up getting passed up by Ryan and Dusty. Uh, It's something that I enjoy. I like the actual physicality of like changing landscapes, even if it was, uh, you would say on paper straightforward, but now we're two for two on like a team getting passed up by another team in the roadblock. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for David, he is going to struggle uh, with this. Uh, just he has a self assessment of his swimming level, which is zero. This feels like it's something you should at least try to be slightly familiar with before mm-hmm. you go on the amazing race. They don't do it, like we said, they don't do it every year, but. They do it often enough that it should be on your list of tasks that you at least try before you try them for the first time on national TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, it was kind of a funny moment where then Lewis, uh, he is all predictably excited to be in the cave. Um, and we see where you know Derek X found the clue. It seemed like, okay, this is so obvious, uh, much like uh, something that we would say in another CBS reality show on Wednesday night. Uh, The clue is right there. How come nobody sees it? And Derek X went right to it. Uh, Lewis went right to it. But David uh, completely missed it and is on the other end of the cave. uh, And Lewis did not help him, Jess. Well, I think we're past the point where it makes sense to help people. Mm -hmm. He said, sorry, David. I think at a certain point, you got to say, I'm running a race here. Mm-hmm. 
Though I would say that while Lewis did not explicitly help him, I believe that David saw where Lewis was picking yeah. up the clue and was like, oh no, that's where the clue is. Yes. So I think just by purely grabbing the clue, Lewis ended up incidentally helping David. Yes. He his, led by example. His helmet light showed the way. David ultimately got it, but Molly ends up uh, coming through and uh, is able to make up a lot of ground here on the roadblock to the point where I don't think that they pass uh, David and Aubrey uh, quite yet, but basically like all of the time that they were behind, they're able to catch up and then basically uh, just be a couple seconds behind going into the next task. Yeah, it was yeah. a very tight leg altogether. Mm hmm. Much like Emily's. <laughs> Very yes. tight. Okay. All right. Um, so after that, they are going to uh, head out to uh, go for the route info to the Silfra Fissure Snorkel. Mm -hmm. It's an Expedia experience. Jess, I, I want to ask you about this because I know that Amazing Race Canada does this sometimes, right? I'm thinking back to like the Canada 100 uh, I think that was during like season six or seven, where throughout the season they themed tasks around like this theme. Should we have had more Expedia experiences throughout the Amazing Race season? I mean, that would probably result in more money from Expedia to make the Amazing Race. So I'm not mad at it. Mm -hmm. Like these sponsored tasks, they keep the lights on. This is a, this is a, an important facet. Um, like the more more sponsor money you have, the better your race can be. Yeah, ultimately, and I don't mind. I don't mind when it even directly ties into what they're about to do. Jess, is this a thing that people want to go do? Is like go get into the freezing cold water and go look at the Silfra fissure? I mean, it's not something I personally would want to mm -hmm. do, but I think it is a thing that people do. Mm -hmm. Boy, I think that the undersea in these extreme polar regions is really, really interesting. And mm -hmm. so if you are interested in what goes on under the water and especially someplace like this is probably like geologically very interesting. So if that's your thing, I think, yeah. I think it's probably a great experience. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but count me out. I don't like cold water. No, thank you. <laughs> I yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, snorkeling sounds interesting obviously from a tropical perspective you get the ability to see like coral reefs and wildlife there's not much that's underneath there when there's not plaques that give the names of volcanoes and when they're discovered i mean it seems interesting right of like oh it's beneath two tectonic plates i feel like that's a place that's on paper interesting to be perhaps more so than like actually going through it mm -hmm. okay well kudos to phil jess once again, got into the water and uh, showed us how it's done. I mean, full the full John Montgomery here, mm -hmm. the full Monty, if you will. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Yeah. I noticed in the credits after the episode was over that there was a card that said that the, um, I guess the, the instructional segments are directed by Phil Kogan. Is that new? That seems new. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Have you seen it before? I have not seen it before. I mean, I'm wondering 
So was this the first season fully filmed post Tough as Nails or was that season 33, all right? Like, could Phil come, have come into this season with a bit more swagger and been like, listen, I've run a show before. I can make creative decisions. You need, don't need to get out of your chairs at command. Let me get into the field, direct some of these instructional segments. I'll take care of it for you. Yeah, so season 33, I guess they started and then had the COVID shut down. Uh, but I think that they had already filmed a Tough as Nails prior yeah. to going for, because uh, the first Tough as Nails, I think, was pre-COVID. Yeah, they had a Tough as Nails in the can when COVID happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they figured out how to film the second one during COVID. Mm -hmm. And so, the third. Yes, yes. And the fourth. <laughs> yes, yes. Keep on coming. They keep, they keep on going, okay? Uh, so, yeah, there was Phil in his dry suit, uh, ready to go. Yeah, and I thought this was a fun memory task. Uh, and really, I'll give kudos to Derek and Claire, mm -hmm. where this did seem like one of those tasks where, okay, you have to go through it at least twice because you don't necessarily know how many there are, what exactly you're putting in order, et cetera, et cetera. But I think due to, you know, Claire's incredible memory and her mnemonics, she was able to say, yeah, I'm sort of flying by the seat of my pants at this point, but it's a beautiful flight regardless. And the pants are sparkling, darling. And she was able to <laughs> essentially figure out the task in one go while none of the teams were able to do so. Yeah, just I think this might have been uh, Claire's most impressive moment uh, in the season where uh, she's able to showcase her swimming, uh, which is a strength of hers. But then also her memorization comes in very handy where Derek X even compliments and says that, you know, basically like Claire just like completely like aced her side of it. He it made it a lot easier for him. I mean, you have to think that going into this final leg, there's probably going to be a memory task, and that's going to give Derek and Claire a huge leg up. Mm -hmm. yeah. She's yeah. just so good at this stuff. Yeah, I think we could get a very big repeat of the Kim Holderness, right? Like, I've been feeling like I've been dragging my team down, but I took these meticulous notes, and I'm going to ace the final memory task to win us the race. Mm -hmm. moment. Uh, I, I very much see that moving forward. But also, like, in true Claire fashion, the way she memorizes it yeah. is so much fun. Can so we talk through, uh, so Mike, that how autobiographical do you think were uh, Claire's mnemonic devices? I mean, I hope only slightly because she says 1823 and 1625 was when I wanted cats. Is she immortal? Oh, uh, I like thought those were her ages in which she wanted cats. Oh, well, that could even make less sense. Like, is she uh, like Gandalf? Does she live for thousands and thousands of years? I I really liked it. Um, and I think she's talked about. See, I this. thought there was a lot of commas of like 18, 23, 16. Like uh, those were the, oh, well, the like her ages Manning that she calling wanted. Calling a football play, hut, hut, hike. I, I really like this a lot between Surtsey, my dad likes to curtsy. Yeah, I was very like, interested. Does does her dad, is he in some sort of like uh like royal um uh like uh in the court? Like does he uh, bend the knee? Well, the problem is he just lost his trousers and so he just has to curtsy the entire time uh due to his alternate wardrobe. We talked about 1823, 1625 when I wanted cats. And I also, I think my favorite, which took a little bit of like two-factor authentication to get there was 
it's heck instead of hell to get into heaven 11. Mm-hmm. Like, you're never going to forget that. Yeah. Exactly. Now I'll always remember what that's affiliated with. But I think she really picks the perfect strategy for these long names, especially, right? Is to, like, pick the first syllable, associate it with something, and come up with some sort of stupid rhyme or phrase. Uh, because, of course, knowing our psychologies, we don't remember the smart things we say in our lives. We're kept awake by the stupid things we say. That's why I haven't slept in a decade. And so I think that uh, having Claire come up with these things that are definitely going to stick in her head because she's like, what the F was I thinking about was a really smart strategy. I want to say that she did it beforehand as well. I think it was maybe memorizing the French poem uh, or I think maybe it was uh, when Derek was memorizing. We talked about this, right? With Chappelle like a lion back during the, the <laughs> French flags as well. That I just love these memorization tactics that these racers have been using. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they ultimately are able to get it. Just do you like sort of like the sand art reveal of where to go next? <laughs> yeah, it's flashy. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it when they have unorthodox, when it's not just handing someone a clue, when they have an unorthodox way of showing a clue. I, I always love that. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked that you had to get them all right. And then, you know, the clue will be revealed. Mm-hmm. It's very Indiana Jones, I feel. Yes. Okay. And uh, head to uh, Golfus Falls. Uh, and uh, that is what Derek and Claire will do. Another first place finish for Derek and Claire. And they get to meet not just Phil, but also Icelandic actor Olafur Olafsson. He's, he's, a, he's a hates that guy. Not just mm-hmm. in Icelandic cinema, but he's been in a lot of American productions. Yeah. I saw, I looked yeah, at his I, IMDb. Uh, I saw he was on 10 episodes of Severance. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, now another reason why I want to get into Severance is because Amazing Race Pit Stop creator Olafur Olafsson <laughs> is going to be in on it. <laughs> I, I recognize him from Lady Dynamite, which was the Maria Bamford Netflix show. He played mm-hmm. her love interest uh, from a certain perspective. But yeah, he's interesting. He was actually born in Connecticut. Uh, and then eventually, when he was like four years old, he went back to Iceland. I will say, uh, I believe that, you know, Frozen is more based from a Scandinavian perspective. He does look like a character from Frozen with his facial hair. And mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Looks like the guy who runs the sauna. Yeah, the hoo-hoo. Yeah, that, that's the one. <laughs> uh, so Derek and Claire, they are going to win first place. Uh, they are going to win a trip to the UK and some Expedia points. Just it would not be a trip on the Amazing Race 34 without also part of their stay, there's Expedia Points designed reward, a British baking class. They're going to learn how to avoid the dreaded soggy bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, who would you, like, I guess, is Paul Hollywood going to be there? Is Matt Lucas going to be there making bad jokes the entire time or while you're attempting to bake for the true authentic British experience? Mm-hmm. You can only I hope. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, so for Derek and Claire, um, Derek says uh, that they're one third of the way, uh, which I would want to fact check his math. I think that Claire should double check that. Yeah, math ain't math in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I think he meant that they have like a one third chance, right? Yeah, yeah. yes. No, I know what he meant, but um, it's uh, not quite uh, one third of the way. They, they've passed that milestone. Yeah, they are yeah, 10 elevenths of the way. <laughs> and good good on Derek and Claire. They, along with Lewis and Michelle, are tied with the most first place finishes this season with three. And it's interesting going into our final three, right? That 
you think on paper Emily and Molly have only had one first place, so therefore, like, they're going to be our consummate third-place finishers. But not only does the, the final leg serve as, like, a bit of a wild card you never know who could win, but I feel like they've been doing well in the task, just have been slowed down by the leg of it all, that given any sort of composition of a final leg, they could still net a first-place victory just due to their skill set. Let's check back in with the teams that struggled more uh, with uh, going through the Silpha fissure. Uh, so we have uh, Lewis and Michelle. Um, the issue here was uh, Michelle just too fast of a swimmer. Not really letting, uh, you know, sl slowing down to she's too eager to get through it. Yeah, who would have thought Kitty Ledecky uh, was racing here, just completely blazing a path through, and poor Lewis is stuck behind because they took on an interesting thing, right, of, okay, we don't know how many volcanoes there are, let's just alternate, but if your partner is an entire pool's laid ahead of you, Lewis got, understandably, a little turned around and was like, wait a minute, is that mine or hers? And I would say this is really the first sort of like miscommunication we have seen from them this entire race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're normally very good communicators. Here. They get too excited that they're so excited. Like, oh, my God, we get to do this. And then uh, like Michelle uh, just like uh, lost track of talking to her partner. She's too excited to swim in the water. I mean, Slow once down. you hit that cold water, your brain is going to be functioning differently anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for Lewis and Michelle, they basically had it. Uh, it seemed like the, the bottom two uh, were off and then they are the first team that has to go back through. Um, David, no pun intended, but uh, his heart sinks uh, when uh, he realizes, <laughs> uh, get back in the water. Another I mean, I a, water challenge. I give him a lot of kudos though for like actually going through with it because as Jess pointed out, even for the strongest swimmers, there is still this like mental, for lack of a better term, roadblock that comes up when your body has such a shock to it from the cold that causes your brain to freeze up. I'm assuming that's a reason why they wanted to add a mental task on mm -hmm. top of this, that after they get it wrong, not once, but twice, as haggard as he looks, David is like, okay, let's go back in the water and get it done. It's Aubrey who is sort of like, no, we need to tap out right now. I'm not putting you through this again. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to go through it. Uh, and it is, uh, as we will see when they ultimately uh, get to the board, um, Jess, when they flash, how many David and Aubrey have correct? Uh, it was like the entire board was wrong. Yeah. I mean, it would be, you could do better randomly guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more of a red wave than what we saw two weeks ago. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so for Emily and Molly, uh, again, uh, they tell us about how they have strong visual memories. Uh, and I thought they were going to ace it. Uh, they end up getting it almost completely right. Again, uh, they are very good in the water. They get to their puzzle board and uh, they only had what? Like uh, two wrong themselves. Yeah, that's why I give, again, incredible kudos to Derek and Claire that I think by design, this thing prefers the, what happened to Lewis and Michelle and Emily and Molly, which is like, you get nearly all of them at the first try, but because names sound so similar, sometimes it's the same name for different volcanoes on different dates. Like, you get maybe a couple of them mixed up. You go back, rectify your mistake, and you're done. Derek and Claire were able to do it in one go, which I do not think was necessarily the design of the task. Mm -hmm. So, 
David and Aubrey have to go back into the water. And uh, Jess, it seems like that the second time through uh, might have been worse than the first for David and Aubrey. Yeah, well, it I, it doesn't get any better. Like the water's not getting any warmer there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like that Aubrey, she also mentioned that she kind of was out of it also uh, being concerned for David in the water. And I think there's, well, there's a mental component, right? Where we saw she kind of freaked out in the car earlier, right? Where I think it's this immense pressure, the penultimate leg, any single mistake can cost you. We saw this with Michael and Marcus where they screwed up on just one task and were basically auto-eliminated during that mega leg. And I think she put a lot of pressure on herself in that moment to be like, I need to make sure that I'm not guiding us in the wrong direction because I don't want to be the Marcus, right? I don't want to be the one responsible for David and I losing the race. And I think you sort of get in your head and you spiral a bit. And I feel like that was incorporated into, like you said, David struggling to catch his breath, fogging up his goggles, et cetera, of like actually feeling, feeling for the physical safety of someone that you love that, that's racing alongside you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fog in the goggles, that is a real thing. Yeah. That's, that's a game killer right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we see Emily and Molly, uh, they get through it and David and Aubrey are sort of uh, reticent to get back in. Uh, and they realize basically, I think that the book is written here for them uh, and they just don't want to do it. You know, I don't have any issue with this. I don't either. I feel like if if the task is something that's not going to cost you anything to finish, there's, you know, there's no there's no reason not to finish strong. Like do the task, get it done and get to the mat and take your medicine. But if it's something that you feel like is really compromising your mental health and you're already out of the race and it doesn't matter, there's no reason to finish it. Mhm. Yeah. I didn't see any. This is not tough as nails. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel like, though, had Jeff Probst been there, Jess, uh, that do you think that he would have uh, demanded David overcome his fears? You know, I, I think that is kind of the nightmare scenario. If we're mm-hmm. going on any of these competition shows is not finding a thing you're afraid of and having to confront it, but finding a thing you're afraid of having to confront it and then having someone make an example out of you. Mm-hmm. Like that just, that is horrifying to me. Now that's how you do it on the amazing race. The amazing race is a lot like a volcano. I was thinking about you guys mm-hmm. while I was waiting for the pit stop. You're just waiting to erupt. But when you do a million dollars rains down upon you. Wow. I mean, that's actually pretty good. It's better than about half of the ones probes came up mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Lewis and Michelle, uh, they check in second. Uh, Phil has them like, uh, you know, talk about how, um, you know, you've uh, really uh, have. This was a team that did not start strong. They're reflecting and uh, look at how far they've come. Lewis and Michelle. I mean, I guess it's tough because the times they were doing the worst was the time we knew them the least, right? I mean, go back to that first leg where the editing was still confusing and they were in 10th and Aubrey and David were in 11th that were just like, okay, not sure how or why. But yeah, once they got their feet out under them. Uh, so I, I, the narrative makes sense. It's just that we didn't really know or understand the first part of that narrative. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're forcing it on us right now, I feel like that's sort of 
fuel for the fire that is the theory that they are going to win it. Okay. We'll see. Uh, Emily and Molly, they check in and they, uh, they made it their team number three. And so um, very exciting for Emily and Molly. They will be competing in the finale. Uh, last but not least, two hours after taking the penalty, we see David and Aubrey check in with uh, <laughs> Olafor. Olafur uh, Olafson. And uh, Phil tells them they're the last team to arrive. Aubrey has watched Phil since she was in second grade. Uh, really, you know, she could have said something for Olafur. I mean, I, I don't know how famous someone has to be for you to be like in the middle of the pressure cooker that is the amazing race and register that it is a famous person. Mm -hmm. Like, I think. I would be more likely to recognize Olafur Olafsson on the streets of New York City than I would like on the mat in Iceland on the Amazing yes. Race. Has that ever happened where the mat greeter was enough of a person, a, like a famous figure, that anybody has ever recognized the mat greeter? In Amazing Race Canada, they quite famously spent a large chunk of their leg budget hiring a very famous person to greet people in his hometown of Sudbury, Ontario. Yes. Um, they had the late great Alex Trebek as a mat greeter ah. and famously did not have enough money to hire him for the entire time they needed him. So one team lagged behind and did not get to meet Alex. Yes. What a hat trick uh, coming up three times in one podcast. Uh, Alex Trebek today. Incredible. A, a daily triple for no, they uh, called it they told a, a tuck trick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Did we find out what Alex Trebek's hourly rate was? I do not know. I know how much the city of Sudbury paid the race to come to their city, mm -hmm. but I think it Alex Trebek might have cost more than that. So in Amazing Race Canada, they the cities pay the production to come to them? Sometimes. Wow. I mean, it's a pretty good advertisement mm -hmm. for your city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it happens sometimes. Like, I know this happens with Top Chef when the question always comes up of, like, where are they going to film next? If they don't, the city doesn't pay them, but sometimes cities can offer considerable tax breaks for filming within their city to incentivize productions to film because oftentimes those types of shows, Amazing Race, Top Chef, right, are used to specifically highlight local cuisine, customs, cultures, etc. So it's almost like an investment right to your tourism budget. Mhm. Mm okay. All right. Um so David and Aubrey, uh you know, no hard feelings uh, for them. I mean, of the three teams that have made it to the finals, Mike, if this was the challenge, uh, did did David and Aubrey qualify for Phil's final? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know if they got the red skull uh, or how much money mm -hmm. they have. I mean, I guess, but they, I think, speak most so to like the elements of the amazing race, right? Where you don't need to win every leg. You just have to win the last leg. And we've had, what, four or five winners of the U.S. amazing race that have qualified for this, where, like we talked about, if there's not an aquatic element to this leg or like one thing goes one way or the other way, Emily and Molly get more lost, perhaps, or get slowed down. Aubrey and David make it to the finale and who knows, maybe they end up having a dance task and a mechanical task as two roadblocks yeah. and they end up winning the entire thing. So I would say that their racing out of the entire final four with no offense to them was perhaps like the least impressive, but the amazing race 
to sometimes its detriment is not necessarily a game that is about constantly impressing and doing your best all the time, right? Like you're mm-hmm. not uh, you're not trying to play your game up to any sort of jury that may be voting for you. Yeah. It's all about running your own race. And the goal as always is to not come in last. Aubrey and David did not come in last up to this point. Ergo, I think they were ha- running a satisfactory race. I do think that overall this cast, I think ended up being a very top heavy cast in terms of uh, the finishes. Uh, so tell me if I'm wrong. And I, I don't remember in uh, the very first leg, um, but that really the three teams that are in the finale, plus Marcus and Michael, I feel like uh, monopolized all the first place finishes. Yeah, but you also had like Glenda and Lamumba. Remember, like they got two second place finishes mm-hmm. to start the race. I think we had some positive thoughts for them. Um, you know, you had teams like Linton and Sharik finish fourth and third. Quinton and Maddie even like had that terrible time of driving into the wrong country, but mm-hmm. they were able to bounce back. I think in the beginning, the skill spread of the teams was a bit more even. I think what it comes down to is I think this is even more so than season 33 a season where self-navigation was the biggest determinant. And I think we realized that eventually, to your point, the wheat kind of separated itself from the chaff of the teams that were able to figure out self-navigation ended up doing a lot better, as opposed to your Glenn and Lumumba's, your Quinton and Maddie's, end up falling by the wayside in part because of all that navigation, which they struggle with more so than the task proper. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have our final three teams. Do we want to try to handicap uh, the final leg? I mean, it's it's hard to do it with just three teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can shoot our shot and say who we think is going to win. Okay. And I I'm leaning Lewis and Michelle at this point. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. Because I feel like a couple of weeks ago you're like they don't have the edit. Do you think it's just? Uh, a little bit of a late surge of them in terms of getting all this like personal content about starting their family and everything. Yeah, I think the late surge definitely puts them out in front. I think you have Emily and Molly who have an amazing story and they've had this arc um, about, you know, running the race on an injury. And you have Derek and Claire who were the team that everybody knew who they were coming into the race. So they were going to get a big edit regardless. And they turn out to actually be good at the race. Mm-hmm. But Lewis and Michelle, they didn't have much going on in the early legs. And arguably, like they're they're entertaining people, but we're getting we got a pretty big visibility spike for them. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's that's that whole thing about them throwing the finale party, but mm-hmm. neither mm-hmm. here nor there. Yeah. So I'll I'll throw my own BB Bucks in for Derek and Claire here. I think the finish is going to mimic what we had in this leg. I think Lewis and Michelle, to your point, Jess, I think the reason why they're getting a big surge in personal content is so we get invested in like a neck and neck finish between those two teams. It's a bit like what we got got with Raquel and Kayla last year, where I feel like Holder and his family throughout the season, right, kind of had that consistent pop, that consistent presence, uh, due in part of the fact that they are camera ready. Uh, you know, very media trained, able to showcase their personalities. Raquel and Kayla, we didn't know too much about until really they came back from the Yachtis. And then we really started to get to know them. I feel like we're getting the same sense with Derek and Claire and Louis and Michelle. And I think Emily and Molly, as I mentioned before, I think they'll like start off strong, but then they'll fall behind very quickly due to Emily's injury. For me, Derek and Claire, I just think are the most solid racers. 
where I think their biggest struggles came with like individual efforts with Claire on roadblocks. Now, listen, that could happen again. We could get another season 30 situation, right? Where it comes down to like one mega ultra hard task right at the finish line that Claire has to do and Claire ends up failing. But I just think this team has all the right moves. I think you could say, okay, maybe there's a lack of emotional content on their part, but I just feel like the two of them are not necessarily like the ones to produce that type of story. You know, like they're young, they're recently dating, they're very dry, they're very sarcastic to each other. I don't think you'll be able to get that type of, we want to start a family, we want to do this for our parents type of content. And so I do not think that disqualifies them. I just mm-hmm. see from a general objective um, like racing skills perspective I, I i think they're gonna take it here well we do know a little bit about their parents because famously derek x if you remember the premiere of big brother 23 said his parents told him not to come home if he doesn't win the money uh so that was a big thing and we know that claire's dad likes to curtsy mike oh that's true and now derek derek x can finally come home after he wins the money yes like it's been three shows, what a great son. redemption story of like like mom dad I finally did it. I I finally wanted a show. I can come home. Uh, So uh, here are your keys, son. Welcome back home. Welcome back home. We know we always believed in you, Derek. So why he keeps going on these shows? I think so. His parents told him he he could not come home until he won. Why are you here, Derek X? I left a lot of stuff behind in my room and my parents won't let me back in. It's been really uh, inconvenient. I just want my laptop back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I too will throw my lot in with Derek and Claire that I feel like that they've had like some interesting like edit moments also in the season, like talking about how, you know, wow, can can you believe that one of the, one of these teams, one of us is going to win. Like I thought that that was like well, an a 33% interesting- chance. Yeah. I, I also feel like that they also talked um, like throughout the season about like um, their strategy and their approach to the amazing race and sort of like uh, their attention to detail and how they're coming on strong. And so that I do feel like to me, like I, I think that they have a lot of similarities to the holder, the Holderness family uh, from last season. And so I think that that is a, you know, um, a type of team that I feel very good about going into this final leg. Uh, Lewis and Michelle, Emily and Molly, I think both of those would be great winners of the amazing race, but I, I am leaning towards a Derek and Claire win. Yeah. I think if they do end up winning, I guess we'll sort of bookmark this for next week's conversation. I think it would speak to like from a modern day, amazing race perspective. What does it take to win? Because if we get Will and James, the Holder and his family, and Derek and Claire, I think the way you win the amazing race is work smarter, not harder, Mm -hmm. right? Is this idea of like, you don't need to be the strongest or the fastest in any particular task, but you need to have a a way to think things through and perhaps find a shortcut. Not to say that Lewis and Michelle don't have that. Again, like they are surprising super fans of the amazing race. and have certainly thought through things a couple of times, but I think to your point, Rob, from an editing perspective, we have seen Derek and Claire, much like those two winners, represent that idea the most of like, okay, let's think through strategies we can use to get through stuff the quickest, even if we don't have the skill set that's naturally adept for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that'll be exciting. Just where are we heading towards for our final leg? Final leg is in Nashville. Nashville. Okay. All right. We'll see. Maybe if Emily and Molly win, do we call it the miracle, the Music City Miracle Part 2? <laughs> you can call uh, it that, yeah. Mike. <laughs> Yeah, they would be true titans uh, if they can pull it off. 
All right. And then have lots of bills to pay. Mm -hmm, For sure. All right. Uh, Anything else we want to say about uh, this penultimate leg of The Amazing Race? I thought it was it was exciting. The tasks were visually interesting and it led to a lot of, again, placement changes. So I can't be mad uh, with a penultimate leg like this. And like you said, Rob, uh, very much echo what you said. I I'm, I'm, would be excited to see any of these final three teams race. And you never know. This is the final leg is almost always a like travel around the city and do these various tasks. I'm hopeful for a competitive finale like last season, not the season 32 finale, right? Where it was one team gets out to a lead and just doesn't look back the entire time. We don't often get that, but I'm hoping we get two exciting finales in a row here. Mm-hmm. I will be happy if we see just once, I want to see a team pass another team in the mm-hmm. final leg. I Ooh. feel like that's my metric for, is this a satisfying final leg? Mm. If we stick to the same order that they get there in, like the first team leaves the first task and that team is in front the whole time. It's like you said, Mike, that's not satisfying, but I want to see. I want to see a really complicated task where a team is able to do well and get out in front. Mm-hmm. Switch up the order. That's all I ask. We'll see. We'll see if it happens. All right. Coming up uh, next week, we will bring you our finale of uh, the Amazing Race recap. And then hopefully uh, we'll have exit interviews with the final three teams uh, coming up next week. Jess, what do you have coming up these days? Um, I really I just have this right now. Yeah. Um, I am kind of winding down for the holidays. I have some holiday projects in the works for post show recaps, but uh, nothing I'm ready to announce yet. Okay. All right. Uh, our curiosity is peaked. Uh, there's no Walking Dead on these days? Not right now. We finished The Walking Dead. It's over. Mm-hmm. It's done. We put it to bed. The Walking until- Dead. Yeah, The Walking Dead is over, but The Walking Dead universe is just getting started, as we're fond of saying on Poster Recaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back in the new year with Fear the Walking Dead and um, Walking Dead Dead City, Walking Dead Daryl Dixon, Walking Dead Rick and Michonne. They're all coming back. Okay. All right. Uh, so it'll be a very Walking Dead uh, 2023. Um, all right. We'll be back next week uh, to hear your thoughts on the finale. Mike Bloom. I know that you are still very busy these days. Yeah, because we are rounding the corner that as our background uh, gives away here, the Survivor. Oh, Mike, I'm so embarrassed. I I had the wrong background up the whole time. No, you were were thinking warm thoughts, you know, in a very Mm -hmm. cold environment like Iceland. So, yeah, final seven episode aired last night. Uh, I think it's been a a post-merge that has been getting better and better had a really interesting boot very excited to be talking with the seventh place finisher later today gonna be doing a bnb with mari fourth this upcoming weekend if you missed it had a really fun really stupid one with beth dixon uh this past Ooh, weekend alongside liana the so, best kind uh, exactly so if you want to listen back to that one i thought that was a really great one as well uh, i'll also be talking with aubrey and david later today Really excited to talk with them. Uh, I, I really enjoy talking with the teams that, to be honest, have some of the smaller edits just to like get a glimpse into their own personality as well as, as, well as their own reactions to their mm-hmm. portrayal. I know that Will and Abby and Quentin and Maddie certainly have thoughts about it, and I'm sure Aubrey and David will as well. Uh, and then over on Post Show Recaps, I got to hop back aboard my own uh, spaceship, in a manner of speaking, not a four-wheel drive rover, to do a wrap-up on Andor, the Disney Plus Star Wars series that recently came to its conclusion. I got together with our Philly and Josh. Josh and I got to give our like overall thoughts on Andor, a show that I 
really enjoyed overall, even though it was a very different Star Wars show in and of itself. So if you've watched Andor, for some reason, want my thoughts on it, feel free to check that out. And as Jessa alludes to, I think by this time next week when we're doing the finale, there'll be larger post-show recaps projects that I think we'd be able to officially plug once the embargo is lifted. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And of course, uh, check out our coverage in addition to Survivor. Uh, got Adam Klein on the recap today. Our exit interview is coming up as well. But also the real Love Boat uh, set sail. And boy, uh, that love was not necessarily in the air on the real Love Boat oh. of this last oh. uh, outing. So check that out with Jenny and Kirsten as well. Because the real Love Boat is still on on Paramount+. Plus. Although I will say that that perhaps maybe uh, half-assing a little bit on the real love boat, uh, whereas the episode we watched had numerous sound dropouts on the Paramount Plus only (laughs) (laughs) upload of... Like, I was like, is there something wrong with my computer? Why is, like, the sound cutting out every couple seconds? But that was like that for everybody. So maybe they have... They really don't care. Yeah, yeah, seemed like a little bit of a phoning it in on uh, the real love boat, uh, but not us. We are still committed to the journey. We're gonna see this through. All right, we're not taking a, a penalty. We're gonna go finish the real love boat. <laughs> Tapping out. This is my no. one fear: is uh, shows that have sound dropouts. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on our amazing race recap. Everybody, take care of a good one. Bye. Bye.